the Honorable Elijah E. Cummings. And, you know, this is a title that we confer on all kinds of people who get elected to public office. We're supposed to introduce them as honorable. But, but Elijah Cummings was honorable before he was elected to office. There's a difference. Welcome to episode 10 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. The clock is ticking and we want you to join the party. On today's episode, it's get out the vote time in Virginia. We're going to chat with Tori Taylor, the head of political and organizing at Swing Left. Tori's a campaign veteran and an all-around awesome person who's going to take us through the tactics and strategies to help Democrats win the majority in all three branches of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Most importantly, Tori will let you know how you can help us win this crucial election that's happening right now. Then Steve's going to give you a few of his top tips for knocking on doors. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And and this this is is How We Win. Win. The Lord has now called Elijah home to give his humble, faithful servant rest. And it now falls on us to continue his work so that other young boys and girls in Baltimore, across Maryland, across the United States, and around the world might too have a chance to grow and to flourish. That's how we will honor him. That's how we will remember him. That's what he would hope for. That was President Obama speaking at Elijah Cummings' funeral last week. And uh, boy, did that did that make so powerful mi- miss having President Obama. I miss him so very much. Yeah. But, you know, a hard moment to see him in. But but it, it was it was good to see him. Did you see that Usher uh, throw some shade to Mitch McConnell? I saw that. That was (laughs) one of those moments that's so awkward, like you're not there, but you feel just the tent, like everything. It would have been painful, but it was so enjoyable. And Usher was walking by and shook everyone's hand in the procession, uh, including Kevin McCarthy, and um, got to Mitch McConnell and just went right past him and shook Nancy Pelosi's hand and left Left yeah. old Mitch hanging. This feels like it's been a, a week, a few days of, you know, it's just sim- symbols, symbolism. We had that. We had Trump booed at the yeah. at the World Series game and, and got the lock him up chance, which have been a, a topic of conversation. But. Ridiculous topic of conversation. I, for one, loved the booing. I've, I endorse that, and that's <laughs> part of our freedom uh, yeah. is to express ourselves. Like, what was he thinking? So delusional to think that he would be applauded at a Washington Nationals uh, World Series game. I think delusional might be his middle name, Donald D. Trump. By the way, uh, can I add really quickly? Sure. 
Go Nats. Okay, whatever. What? Uh, I'll tell you what is on Trump's mind. The impeachment proceedings. The inquiry continues, and a big moment is coming up later this week. You don't think he's just really focused on uh, a smart, concise, successful foreign policy, and he's not really thinking about impeachment? Oh, I think he's thinking about foreign policy. (laughs) Or the lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of gets to the heart of this whole impeachment inquiry, which is just terrible, manipulative, uh, dangerous approach to foreign policy. Well, they've been blocking all of their administration officials saying that mm-hmm. it's an illegal, uh, false. false proceeding, that there wasn't a formal vote on the impeachment proceedings. So the Congress and Nancy Pelosi is going to call their bluff on that, say, okay, we'll take an official impeachment vote. And that's going to happen on Thursday. Yeah. So that uh, will be a resolution that sort of lays out this process. And then it's expected that these hearings will open up to the public uh, after that resolution, if it's passed, which will 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 probably be passed uh, on Thursday. And then, you know, today we record on Tuesdays. So today we're following the testimony as much as we can because it's behind closed doors of Lieutenant Colonel Venman who heard the phone call to the Ukrainian president. Actually on the call. Right. And was uh, very concerned about it. Very concerned about it. Reported to a couple of people at the time, expressed his concerns about it. Is the first actual Trump administration official to come forward and um, testify. His opening statement was released. Mm -hmm. This is someone who is a a war hero, Mm -hmm. um, a career military and government official who has served multiple presidents and is an expert on the Ukraine. was injured in Iraq. He's received the Purple Heart and um, now is being, of course, because he's coming forward as a patriot, as an American, being denigrated by the president and called a likely spy by our friend Laura Ingram. Did I say friend and Laura Ingram in the same sentence? <laughs> we recognize sarcasm when we hear it. I hope um, so. <laughs> but this is, I mean, he's now, you know, the target of the Trump and his cronies playbook, which is if you disagree with us, if you push back against us, you are human scum no matter how many purple hearts you have, right? Right. There's no low for this. Hat. <laughs> you gotta edit that out. You think? <laughs> um, so we're keeping an eye on the impeachment proceedings. I might just add beeps over that. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, let pe- leave people to wonder what you said. It was right. vulgar. <laughs> um, so now we have a little bit of a challenging topic to discuss, yeah. uh, and that is the resignation of Congress member Katie Hill, who was. Our very first guest on this podcast and who's somebody who we helped her campaign out a lot. Yeah. A lot of people who are listening uh, were an integral part of her campaign in a variety of ways. And this has been a a tough week uh, for everyone and obviously particularly for Katie and, and her staff. Right. It's been heartbreaking, frustrating uh, I've had a lot of feelings about it. I know you have too. Um, as Mariah said, we both worked very hard on her campaign, very closely in CA25, the district that she represents. I consider a lot of her staffers friends, and um, 
I have a great deal of respect for Katie. And I mean, there's mistakes made and judgment calls that, you know, we can discuss. But um, to release all of these Mm -hmm. pictures of her on the Internet, this can't be allowed to happen. And I hope that she sticks around and continues to do what she said she's going to do is focus on addressing this issue so that women uh, don't have to face this career life-altering revenge porn it's illegal in the state of California, um, but federally, this is something that is, is ruining lives, and it's it's really ruined her life and the life of her staffers and all these friends of ours who are out of jobs. Yeah, I, listen, I think that you can acknowledge, um, like you said, that she made a mistake, um, yeah. and but nobody deserves to have their intimate photos released publicly. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that California has some of the most restrictive and punitive uh, cyber exploitation laws in the country, but that needs to be extended uh, nationwide. The Internet doesn't just exist in California. Right. And and the other thing is, you know, Katie is so young and she represents a new generation of elected officials, most of whom will have compromising photos out there somewhere. It's just people are so used to um It's a really good point. I mean being around being around smartphones now. Yeah, I didn't grow up with a smartphone in my hand. Right. But if you had There'd probably be some interesting <laughs> photos of you, and I, I there can say, would be a I, lot. I can of say the you fascinating know, images, and w- whether it could be just you know people acting foolish or whatever. But it's not right. But the fight continues. Uh, the seat wasn't won by one person. It won't be held by one person. That's right. We don't know. Katie's actual resignation date yet, but after that's announced, then the governor of California will then have two weeks to schedule a special election, which is how um, that seat will be filled again. And like you said, we've been working in this district alongside some amazing dedicated activists who know the importance of keeping a Democrat in this seat. Mm -hmm. And this is about a movement and this movement will continue. So already the people who I'm talking to, um, I know you've had the same experience. We've all had lots of conversations over the last mm-hmm. couple of days with the local activists. They're fired up to protect this seat. Yeah. You know, um, they understand how important it is. They're upset about Katie, um, but we it's imperative that we hold on to this seat. Yeah, and the orgs that um, sort of take a look at which way these seats are going to go still believe it's lean Democrat um, Democrats have the voter registration advantage in the district, but there are a lot of no party preference voters. So we will have our work cut out for us to hold on to this seat. Uh, and we're ready to jump back in there and, and keep it. For today's Reasons for Hope, it's actually the same as this week's to-do list, which is Virginia. The Virginia election's going on right now. Mm-hmm. It is GOTV time, get out the vote time. Right. So... Our interview is going to be all about Virginia with Tori Taylor. Tori Taylor is an organizer with a decade of experience working for progressive organizations and campaigns. She currently serves as head of political and organizing at Swing Left. During the 2018 cycle, she was a senior political advisor for the Democratic National Committee and managed a red-to-blue congressional race in her home state of North Carolina. She's also spent 
three years at Emily's List, helping elect Democratic candidates at the local and state level and managing their national training program. And she's also the host of a great new podcast called For Future Reference. Tori, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We're going to talk about the Virginia elections and go a little deep into the candidates and strategies there. But first, I want to hear a little bit about your story. You've been working on campaigns in various capacities your whole career. What first propelled you into this work? I have been working in campaigns with Democratic candidates, progressive causes for a little over 10 years now. And that spark, that interest in politics and advocacy really began when I was in about middle school or high school. Um, I am originally from North Carolina. I grew up in a really rural part of uh, Western North Carolina in a low-income family. And our region of the state was our economic roots were really based in textiles and furniture. And when I was about middle school and high school, I really saw automation and globalization and trade deals and a number of other factors really impact the economic livelihood of that region of the state. And a lot of those textile factories shut down, a lot of those furniture plants shut down. And I saw people in my own family lose their jobs, neighbors, friends, teachers. Um, And it was the first time that I really saw how something outside of my control, my family's control, my neighbor's control, impact our lives so dramatically. And so this culmination of experiences really just opened my eyes to politics and government and public policy can be such a force for good and bad. Um, And it really inspired me to figure out how I could use the skills that I had and those experiences and the passion for making sure that you know, something like that didn't happen to a family like mine again, or if it did happen, that there would be resources available for the next family or for the neighbors that I still had uh, in Taylorsville, North Carolina, um, that could benefit from those resources like I was able to. So wait a minute, is is the town you grew up in named after you? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could say yes. Um, it, it is unfortunately not. It, it, it's, it, it was not, although sometimes... Um, you were royal. You guys were royalty and, there, right? <laughs> I know. Sometimes when I'm at parties and I don't know anybody and like I'm having small talk with people and they ask me that, sometimes I lie. <laughs> Say yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to be named after me, but I, I won't lie to you and all of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So what, do you recall the moment when you realized that it was campaigns uh, that could help you achieve your goal of, of helping expose people to the to the things that you benefited from? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I went into college with all of those experiences kind of floating in my head. And I was like, oh, politics and government and advocacy seem like a great place to spend my time. But as you all know, that's such a huge, broad space. There's right. so many different ways that you can take a career in politics. And uh, at the same time that I was kind of going through this in my first year of college, 
there was a, a certain woman who was running for president in 2008 named Hillary Clinton. Um, and I was watching one of her speeches on C-SPAN and was just so inspired and just decided, you know, maybe I'll just walk into one of her field offices and just see what like a presidential campaign is about. And maybe they'll let me, they'll show me the ropes and let me stick around. And so that's exactly what I did. I just, I left class one day. I drove to South Charlotte where Hillary Clinton's um, presidential campaign office was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I literally just walked in and I was like, Hey, I saw her on C-SPAN. I'm interested in politics. Is there something I can do? <laughs> Had you volunteered on a political campaign before that? Nope. Nope. I hadn't. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I just walked in and, you know, as any good organizer, uh, the person at the desk immediately put me to work and showed me how to organize some stuff in the office and knock doors. And that led to six months on that campaign. And to this day, it's one of my favorite campaign experiences of my life. It's, it's where I figured out how much I love talking to people about issues. I loved learning their stories. I loved the fast paced environment of campaigns. I loved working for a candidate that I really believed in. And after that, I was hooked. I just jumped on any campaign that would take me after that. <laughs> and, right. you know, 10 plus years later, here I am. <laughs> That's a really cool origin story. Um, and we know you're also an alum of President Obama's campaign. You worked on uh, his reelect and directed youth engagement efforts at the 2012 Democratic National Convention, and you're the former national president of College Democrats of America. Wow. Uh, how has your organizing work changed over time, especially with engaging young voters? When I was working on the Clinton campaign in 2008, and I later worked for Anthony Fox, who was running for mayor of Charlotte uh, while I was in college, one of the things that I realized so quickly was how I was typically the only young person in the room. Mm. There weren't a lot of students. There weren't a lot of young people engaged in these campaigns. And it inspired me to try to motivate more of the students on my campus to get involved. And later, that took me to you know higher levels of youth engagement work um, with the College Democrats, with the DNC, and the Democratic National Convention in 2012, because I felt it was so important. So many of the decisions that were being made in whether it was Congress or state legislatures or in municipal governments, so many of those decisions were made that were going to really impact young people in that community and across the country. And it felt so unfair to not have more young people in the room when those decisions were being made or more young people part of those campaigns to help shape those policies and help shape the candidate's narrative around those issues that would impact young people. And so that was really one of the pillars of the of my career to start with is engaging young people. And it's still a passion that I, I hold dear to my heart today. I get so much fulfillment out of figuring out how we involved different people in the political process that should be part of it, but haven't always had natural pathways to success. And that youth organizing, you know, also lent a lot of um, good skills and kind of experiences to working at Emily's List, where I was trying to get more women and women of color involved mm -hmm. in politics and elected to public office. And I think that our politics and our campaigns and our country is better when all communities are reflective 
at the decision-making table. And, you know, we have candidates and we have campaigns and coalitions that are really reflective of the people that they're representing. And we not only have better programs like that, we also have better outcomes. We have better people. Um, you know, I, I really see it. Someone told me an analogy a few years ago that really has stuck with me. It's that when we don't have diverse sets of voices and all communities represented at the table, it's kind of like a baseball game when you're only putting half your team on the field. Wow. That's always really stuck with me and I think has has become a, a really core principle and value set of mine as my career has moved on. That's a that's a really great analogy. Yeah. And and let me just add to that, go Nats. <laughs> exactly. Go Nationals. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on again. So do, so are you seeing that that's really interesting. Are you seeing campaigns right now doing a very good job of that or or do you think there's still room for for growth there? I think it's both. I think that campaigns have improved dramatically since I got started 10 mm-hmm. years ago. You know, the the senior staff and the you know, from the presidential campaigns down ballot, they are so much more diverse and so much more inclusive than they were whenever I got started in politics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of distance that we still need to walk down in the path to full reflectiveness and um, representation. But We've made really great strides over the years. You know, I, whenever I was in high school and and beginning college, I was so worried whenever I decided that I wanted to be in politics because I didn't see anybody really like me (laughs) in politics. I, I associated political leadership with someone who was old, someone who was white, someone who was a man, someone who was rich, someone who went to Yale or Harvard. And here I was, you know, this poor kid from Taylorsville <laughs> that just kind of thought she she wanted to make a difference, didn't really know how, was going to go to a state school, you know, was young, was a young woman. Uh, and that was a huge that was a huge set of insecurities that I took with me whenever I walked into that that Clinton campaign office. And I think I actually think one of the reasons Hillary Clinton was so inspiring to me then was because she was a woman. You know, it was it was one the, like one of the first women leaders in politics that I remember seeing. And now, you know, looking at our 2020 presidential campaign field and just the array of candidates we have up and down the ballot moving into 2019 and 2020. You know, we have so much more diversity in background, in gender, in race, in religion. Um, it's, it's so just, exciting. It's a much, yeah, it's a much more reflective group of people um, that I'm really excited for, you know, the young Tories of the world who <laughs> are thinking about what they want to do. Like, you have so many more role models and options than, you know, to- this Tory did when in 2007 and 2008. And I think that's so exciting and just really inspiring. Well, let's talk a little bit about Virginia. First of all, you talked about down-ballot races, and right now, like, you turn on the news, it's all about impeachment, of course, and the presidential election. That's what everyone is tuned into. Um, Some people are focused on the Senate because they understand how important that is. But uh, what advice do you have for how we talk to friends and family and fellow activists about these important down-ballot state races? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. You know, state legislatures 
from the progressive side have really taken a, a, a hard hit over the last decade. As you two know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, um, in 2010, whenever Republicans swept Congress and also state legislatures across the country, um, you know, they were able to gerrymander these districts in a way that were just incredibly unfair and not representative of the populations that they were supposed to represent. And what we're seeing in Virginia in 2019 is really an opportunity to take back the Virginia House of Delegates and the Virginia State Senate. Um, we only need two seats in both chambers to flip those chambers and, you know, could really be one of the best and last chances to turn Virginia blue and set up a a decade of progressive victories from a policy standpoint, but also from a fair map standpoint. And, you know, there are a range of issues that state legislatures impact in terms of our day-to-day -day lives, from public education to gun violence prevention to voting rights. And, you know, these state and local decisions are so impactful and so important. But also, Virginia is a unique state in the sense that it is a perennial bellwether and it's a perennial swing state. And I think that what we saw in 2017 with the Virginia legislative and statewide elections was Democrats swept those races in 2017. They won back all three of the statewide, um, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, and they also had incredible victories at the state legislative level. And that was in 2017. And now, in retrospect, we know that those victories in 2017 in Virginia were really the start of the momentum and the blue wave that helped take help us take back the House of Representatives in 2018. Right. And so so for anyone who wants to start the road to taking back all of the houses, the White House, the Senate, other state legislatures in 2020, that path really starts in 2019 and building momentum with a victory in Virginia. I think that's really, really compelling because um, – First of all, we know that the Republicans are watching this very closely because they want to see if there's any cracks in our in our blue wave and um, what kind of activist base we still have heading into 2020. Uh, as you said, it's a big bellwether. Yeah, and so we yep. we know that um, voters in Virginia are already starting to cast their ballots. So. The clock is ticking. Can you um, flag a, a couple of the, the races that you're keeping an eye on right now and, and tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, of course. So if you go to www.swingleft.com and slash Virginia, you can see all the, the 20 races that we are targeting. And a couple that really stick out to me, um, Sheila Bynum-Coleman is um, a candidate who is in the Richmond-Chesterfield County area, which is about central Virginia. Um, and this is the second time she's run. And she just has an incredible story. She has been in Chesterfield County her entire life. Um, she has a background in construction and contracts, but has a really incredible personal story of one of her her children, she has five children, and one of her daughters was actually shot in 2016. And thankfully, she survived, but Sheila has this incredible story of, you know, persevering in the face of senseless gun violence and turning that tragedy into, you know, a spark that led her to run for office. Mm -hmm. um, another candidate that I have known for a while and watched for a while, and anyone who 
who was paying attention to Virginia in 2017 might remember her as well as Shelley Simmons. She is a state house candidate in the Hampton Roads area, which is the eastern shore. And this is the the second the third time she's actually run for this seat. She came really close in 2017, mm-hmm. so close in fact that it actually was a tie. That's right. <laughs> and according to Virginia state law, uh, they had to like flip a coin or draw a number out of a hat or some type of tie-breaking mechanism, and she lost. She mm-hmm. lost after they did that tiebreaker by one vote. And she is an incredible candidate. She is a, a former school teacher. She was on the um, the school board in her community. Uh, I actually worked with her whenever I was at Emily's List, working with their state and local elections program, and we she was one of the first candidates that we endorsed. So I followed her career for a long time, and she is running again. And this is this is her time. She is not going to lose that seat by one vote or a tiebreaker. <laughs> Um, and so next Tuesday, you will find me refreshing the results for right. Virginia House of Delegates District 94 <laughs> to see if Shelley is going to win. <laughs> but And not only did she lose her election by a coin toss, but that was also deciding who would have the majority in the House of Delegates. Isn't that right? Yep, exactly. Exactly. You- it was a... It was an intense time. <laughs> it's such a powerful story about like mm-hmm. how every contact, every dollar raised, every door knocked really makes a difference. Like one more voter could have been driven to the polls in that election, and the Democrats would have had the majority in the House mm-hmm. of Delegates. I mean, wow. there is a powerful opportunity to make an impact in these races. 100%, 100%. And they're so impactful. You know, the, the lower you get on the ballot in terms of getting involved in these campaigns and elections, like, you know, the smaller these races are, you know, the she- Shelley's race and Sheila's race, you know, their budgets are substantially smaller than congressional races in, in top target districts in, tw- in 2018. And their districts are smaller. And so your dollar actually goes a lot further in a state legislative race. Your door knock goes a lot further. Your phone call, writing letters to voters. Um, it's really a powerful thing as a donor and a volunteer to be able to have that outsized impact in a race like Shelley's that was decided by just one vote. You know, you know how impactful your work and your time commitment in these races is really going to be, which is a great thing. You always, as a volunteer, you always want to feel like you're having a, a high impact, and there's no better time to have a high impact in a race than getting involved in one of these Virginia state legislative races. So it's not too late? <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. So if folks would go to Swing Last website, we not only have an entire hub for taking action in Virginia where you can read about our strategy, you can read about the candidates, the issues that are at stake, but we also have an entire take action tool where you can put in your zip code and find actions near you. You can volunteer in Virginia, whether you live in California or New York or Florida, or if you live in D.C. or in Virginia or North Carolina, that's the great thing about the tool that we've set up. You can really take action from anywhere and have a high impact on these really important races coming up. We're working on 20 races. Um, Give us a little insight into the strategy behind our choices there. Like, How do we pick those races? Absolutely. So yeah, so like you said, we have targeted 
15 seats in the House of Delegates. We've targeted five seats in the state Senate. And we really took a range of um, a range of metrics and criteria in developing our methodology for identifying these races. One, you know, we're really looking for races that can be the majority makers. Like I said, we only need two state Senate seats to flip in the state Senate and two in the House of Delegates. And so we looked at the races that, um, you know, were the closest by the data. Uh, we looked at the candidates in terms of their strength, how strong their campaigns were, their fundraising, their ground game, um, you know, how they were centering their values and, their, and the issues in their races. And, you know, we at Swing Left recently merged with our friends uh, at Flippable, which was a great grassroots organization that did a lot of good work in 2018. Um, And we've really brought their state legislative muscle and targeting and data and analytics into our team to really help be the fire behind, you know, how we make these decisions at the granular state legislative level. And we really think that we've developed 20 races and 20 recommendations on how people can take action around these races um, that are going to be the most high impact, the closest races, and the ones that are really going to be the ones that will make the majority if we're able to take back the state house and the state senate. And, um, you know, we also think that these candidates, we followed them since we initially announced these targets earlier this summer, and we followed them over the last six months, stayed in touch with their campaigns, you know, helped them fundraise, directed volunteers there, and continue to feel so strong that these candidates are running really strong campaigns. Um, They have incredible ground games. They are doing all of the hard work. And I think that's the other exciting thing about being involved in Virginia this year is we just really have a top tier slate of candidates to get involved with and get behind. And, you know, I always tell people that winning starts with a great candidate. You know, you have to have a great candidate who's got a great story that's willing to put in the work that's going to inspire people. Um, And we are starting from such a strong place uh, with these candidates in Virginia, and um, it's one of the reasons why I think there's so much excitement about these races. That is really exciting. Mm-hmm. I want to fly to Virginia now and go knock on some doors this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, do good. that, but I will for sure make phone calls. Right. Well, that okay. So that leads us to. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but what do you want people to do? How are they going to be uh, be the most help in this election? Well, if you are within driving distance of Virginia, we will absolutely take you to come knock some doors. Um, We have buses leaving uh, from the D.C. area to go knock doors. We've got volunteers engaged uh, in all different parts of Virginia. So whether you're in North Carolina or Maryland or in Virginia, we will take you in state to knock doors. If you are um, in another part of the country and flying to Virginia like Steve is going to do this weekend is not in the (laughs) cards for you. Um, We have opportunities for folks to make phone calls. So if you go to Swing Last website, we have the Take Action tool, which can set you up with those high impact opportunities. And we'll have those all the way through Election Day. Well, listen, Steve said it on the podcast, so now it has to happen. So Tori, (laughs) I hope that you've got an air mattress for him to sleep on. Because he's coming your way. Wow. We're You're putting ready. us both We're- really on the spot right there. <laughs> that's that's like a hard ask, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tori, thanks so much for breaking that all down. Yeah, um, that was so helpful. And for sharing your story, too. I'm so uh, It's so great to hear that. 
Of course. Thanks for making time on the show for, for me to share that story. And also thank you both for highlighting the important work that we've got ahead of us in Virginia. And really excited to see you this weekend, Steve. And hopefully we'll see a lot of your <laughs> listeners on the phones. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll put a How We Win uh, bus together to, to come camps. Yeah, if you are in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area and want to hop on a bus with you know, a couple dozen of your favorite Swing Left volunteers, uh, that would be a great opportunity. Buses party are bus. always a fun, a fun way to do it. Exactly, party bus. a party bus. There's <laughs> lots of beer on that bus, right? No, 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 there's not. Well, there's not beer on the bus. I'm just no. <laughs> but it's still a party for democracy, which is, it, that's better than beer, right? Much better, <laughs> You yes. pick the beer up on the way back. That's how it works. It's beer and pizza yeah. after the canvas when yeah. you talk about all the great conversations exactly, you had. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Tori, for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Ready? You is just it? start with a. <laughs> is Who's it? that? It's Steve. So now that I have to go to Virginia, um, <laughs> fly across the country, which would be really, really fun. And full yeah. disclosure, I don't have to stay on an air mattress with Tori. I could stay at my parents' place because I grew up in D.C. It's, they're still there. It's always more fun to stay at supporter housing. That's right. That's true. Yeah. Although I don't know what your parents' house is like. Maybe maybe it's super fun there. Maybe we can have a bunch of <laughs> canvassers come stay with my parents' house. I'll just volunteer that right now. Supporter housing. Um, you really are throwing all sorts of things out there on this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> this particular episode has been uh, full of... You know, Promises. <laughs> of empty commitments. <laughs> but that's not what you, listener, are going to do. No empty commitments out there. Leave that to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you have some tips for the folks who are going to be canvassing this weekend and beyond. Just a few. I mean, uh, I'm excited to do some like deeper dives into canvassing and door mm-hmm. knocking and why we do it and, and best practices there. But since it is GOTV time, there's a few tips that I just want to share about knocking on doors that I think people will be helpful, especially if you're around Virginia mm-hmm. and you're getting ready to knock on doors. So um, here goes. First of all, practice the script with a partner. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people will just grab their their script or their, you know, download the app or whatever they're using to canvas with and they head on out and that first door knock they have is like they're faced with a person mm-hmm. and they're sort of stumbling over it. They don't really know what to do. So get that out of your system by practicing with the partner in the campaign office or maybe around the corner if you're embarrassed or whatever. You just get that out mm-hmm. of your system first. That's great even for an experienced canvasser. Yeah, exactly. Because the script's going to be a little bit different. Right. Uh, we have a very specific turnout conversation when it's GOTV time. Right. So you want to make sure that you're familiar with that conversation and know how to do it effectively because it's really important. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you're going to go in pairs so you have someone to practice with and um, also so you are more confident going out there. Like if you're brand new, you can always get paired up with a more experienced canvasser. Mm-hmm. Once you're comfy, you can split up and take opposite sides of the street to mm-hmm. um, hit more houses. But it's always good to go with a canvassing buddy. And even if you don't 
have a canvassing buddy to go with you, usually there are tons of people at a campaign office or launch site who are happy to pair up with you. Yes, exactly. And if you're brand new and have never done it before, like I said, they'll pair you up with a more experienced canvasser. So, yeah. And then um, there's some fun little when you're out there knocking uh, pieces of advice. One is a fun one. Uh, Rattle the gate if you're going into a gated place Mm -hmm. so you're not surprised by a furry friend. Right. A happy little puppy. A happy, cute little or kitten. <laughs> right. <laughs> they'll run up. They'll run up to the gate when they hear it rattling, as opposed to running up to you once you've stepped inside. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just want to be aware of where you walk into, and of course, close the gate behind you. Yeah. 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 When you get to the door, knock and step back from the door. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't want to be like right up in the threshold when someone opens the door because that can be intimidating. You know, don't be right up in someone's grill. And um, and if you're wearing sunglasses, if it's a sunny day in Virginia, make sure you're not wearing them when you go up to the door because that eye contact is really important. And I will just say, no, you don't look intimidating, but people who don't know you and don't know why you're knocking on, on their door might be surprised to see you. And so even if you think that you look like a friendly, happy, warm, cute, adorable person. I have an edge. Take a step back. I have an edge. I have, I have a dark side <laughs> that comes through sometimes. <laughs> and so speaking of dark side. <laughs> uh where is this going? Smile and be friendly. Oh, yeah. That's good advice. Right? And also make sure you're smiling if, like, you're walking up to someone's door because mm-hmm. they could see you through the window. And if you're kind of, like, scowling or looking down or whatever, maybe you're tired. It's fine. You're walking around and knocking on a lot of doors. But make sure you're smiling and being, you know, like, open and accessible and not uh, – Dipping into your dark side. Yeah, um, and a lot of people now have those video doorbells. Right. So even when you ring the doorbell, they're, they might be looking at video video of you before they even answer the they door. They see you coming. Yeah, so you got to be you got to be on as soon as you hit that sidewalk. You got to be on. Yeah. Bring your best self. So here's a fun little uh, thing about reading the script that is a very important oh, tidbit. Let's hear it. It's don't ask. Jump right in. Oh, yeah. Right? So the first question on the script is usually something about are you going to be voting um, in this election or do you know about this election or do you support this candidate? Mm -hmm. There's always a first question on the script. What you don't want to do, because you're a friendly person, Mariah, and all of our listeners are super friendly people, it's kind of a tendency to add an extra question there and say, do you mind if I talk to you about this election coming up? Or Mm. do you have a few minutes to talk about politics? The The problem is the answer is always no to that. So don't ask for permission. Just jump in with that first question. Yeah. Nobody has a few minutes. But they do want to talk about the election and the issues that they care about. That's right. Yeah. Which also brings up the next point is listen. Mm. Let people actually have something to say. They want to talk. If you're doing this right, then uh, you can share a little bit about why you're doing it. You can go through the script a little bit, but let them share what's important to them and then listen to them. If you're Mm. doing it right, then you're doing most of the listening. Do you ever tell people why you're there? Do you ever find that helpful? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And different scripts will have this in different forms. But I always like to share a little bit about my story, why it's important to me. Because facts are hard to connect with people on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Policy can sometimes be hard to connect with people on. But when you make it really personal – 
Uh, like for me, I share about my daughter being a preemie and the healthcare issues that are so personal to us because mm-hmm. she has pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, you can share something in like 20 seconds and then say what's personal to you and then just listen to them. The other thing is really important, really, really, really important, <laughs> is collect good data. Yes. I think most campaigns are using an app. Um, and it's really easy to input all the information into the app. Some campaigns are still using paper lists too. Make sure you get all the data. Make sure you record the houses that you didn't have responses from too. Mm-hmm. All of that is crucial. If you don't record it, it didn't happen. And unfortunately, like you're spending time doing this, but then the campaign doesn't have that information. They're going to have to send more canvassers out to that same area. Right. Um, so it's it's a waste of time. It's really that data is why you are there doing this. So make sure you're meticulous and you record that data. Yeah. You should also ask when you're do- joining canvases, you know, ask like who's getting this information? Make make sure that it that somebody's collecting it and using it uh, because that's the best use of your time is um, information that people are going to use later. That's right. So that's basically it. The last, the last tip I'll say, which is kind of obvious, but don't go where you don't feel safe. Canvassing is really fun. Uh, at this stage of the campaign, if we're in Virginia right now doing mm-hmm. GOTV canvassing, we are going to a very specific, what we call universe of voters, and that's supporters or likely supporters who are less likely to go vote. So mm-hmm. we need to go have a conversation with them and make sure that they show up to the polls. So these are usually friendly conversations. These mm-hmm. are, you know, but sometimes you're in mixed households. Sometimes the data can be wrong, right? So if you go to a house that looks really intimidating and there's a, sounds like a mean dog or you, there's a big, you know, NRA or, you know, Confederate flag hanging from the, <laughs> the door, it's okay to skip that house. We have lots of turf to cover, lots of houses to hit. Yeah, somebody else might go back there or they'll make a phone call instead. And I I remember canvassing in um, Virginia once and the turf that I was given was not safely walkable. Hmm. Um, The route ran along the side of a highway that didn't have a sidewalk. And so I went back to the campaign office, let them know, hey, this is not good turf that you've cut. This is not a safe area to send somebody without a car. And they made a change. So don't be hesitant to give that feedback. And if if you don't feel comfortable doing something, definitely don't do it. Great advice. Mm Those are some quick tips. We'll go deeper into canvassing, but canvassing is the most effective way to turn out voters. Mm -hmm. So please get out there and have some fun, knock on some doors, and then party bus afterwards, (laughs) pizza and beer. (laughs) I don't even even drink. (laughs) Everybody deserves a little reward after a hard canvas. That's right. Thank you for joining us today and for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We want to hear from you and we want your story. Send us a note or even record yourself and email it to podcast at swingleft.org. If you aren't a subscriber yet, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Please subscribe, rate us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure all your friends are subscribing too. Share our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. Use the hashtag HowWeWin2020, and of course, sign up to volunteer. We'll be back next Wednesday with more stories from the field. 